Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the SaaS Marketing Show. This week, I thought we would roll a completely different style of introduction, and instead, I would sit down and give you a quick 30-second insight as to what today's episode is all about. If you're new here, my name is Dylan Hay. I am the host of this podcast, the SaaS Marketing Show, the number one SaaS marketing podcast you can download anywhere online. Now, today, we're speaking with Ian Luck, who is the VP of Global Marketing at a company called Customer Gauge. And we talk all about how Customer Gauge generated over $2 million in sales and 30,000 downloads of their most recent research report. Now, research reports to me sounded a little bit enterprise and a little bit boring, and that was until I spoke to Ian. So with Ian, we go deep into why he thinks you should be building out research reports at your SaaS business, how you can use them to generate new revenue, open new opportunities and new deals for your team, and more importantly, how you can leverage those to drive insane volumes of top of funnel acquisition. Now, before we roll the episode, I wanna say a big thank you to our sponsor, Restream. Restream is the number one multi-streaming platform that allows you to go live on up to 30 different social networks at the same time, all directly from your browser. So if you're thinking about trying any live content, go to restream.am forward slash Dylan and check out Restream. You'll receive a $10 credit in your account if you sign up using that link. Okay, as I said, I think this is an awesome episode. I can't wait for you all to listen and hear from Ian as he shares his insights about what it takes to drive over $2 million and 30,000 downloads from a research report. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the SaaS Marketing Show. Today, I'm joined by Ian Luck, who is the VP of Global Marketing at Customer Gauge. And Customer Gauge is an account experience software that helps you make better customer-centric decisions to grow your accounts faster and your competition. So, Ian, I'm excited to have you here. Welcome to today's show. Hey, thanks so much, John. Great to be here. We're going to keep this like super tactical today, which I'm really excited about. I, I love those kind of episodes the most. So we're going to be talking specifically about how you guys at Customer Gauge organically generated over $2 million and 30,000 downloads with a research report that you put together. So like, I want to get straight into that. But before we do that, maybe we can just set the scene a little bit in terms of giving some insight to Customer Gauge to let the people listening know a bit more about you guys. I know towards the start of this year, you raised a round with Riverside Acceleration Capital and the terms of that weren't disclosed. So I know we're not going to go into like customer numbers and things like that, but maybe you could give us some insight as to a couple of the like customers, like larger customers that you landed as a result of the research report and then a top level overview to Customer Gauge and where you guys are at the moment. Sure. So customers we landed as a result of these campaigns, it really, it's like the last two years of our marketing efforts have been kind of centered around this research approach. We are trying to take like the sage positioning in the marketplace, uh, leveraging thought leadership. So a research report that comments on industry trends and things like that is the, the proper way to kind of help do that. As a result, we've landed a couple different clients that are notable, like Eventbrite, Anheuser-Busch, Heineken, Ikea, OneLogin, Biznode, from this type of campaign, specifically this campaign. But And I'll get into kind of how we took the research report and kind of split it up into multiple different channels, tactics. Uh, So it is kind of like a longer form campaign that we really set up as a result of this research that we did in conjunction with MIT. So yeah, I think that's the the result, right? As far as customer gauge, I'd say we really help companies that have these people on the front lines or in the executive ranks that really care about churn. So like 
it keeps them up at night. They're worried about losing some of their biggest accounts. We really focus on a couple of traditional industries like IT services, telecom, business services, manufacturing, B2B, and SaaS. And we give these people the tools to not only manage churn, but predict it at the account level. And that's a big differentiator for us. We're B2B focused and we really do hone in on the account level uh, uh, metrics. Awesome. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much for thank you so much mm-hmm. for sharing that with us too. Let's jump into this report. So the one that we're going to be talking about specifically today, what was the what was the report, this research report that you guys put together? Yeah, so experience marketplace, there's a lot of confusion. I think companies, I think we, we have a stat that literally like three out of five companies fail at getting an experience program uh, up and running and sustained for the long term. So we really wanted to shed some light on, you know, why are these programs failing, number one, and kind of what can companies do to mitigate that, or at least limit the, the risk when launching a program. So we partnered up with MIT, we launched it, it's right here, uh, I'm going to show it, it's gonna be really cheesy, but it's basically it's 80 something pages packed with uh, a ton of insights. But really, what we tried to do is say, this is what the current state in the market is, this is what we think we should be striving to get to as a future state of the market. And then obviously, we are a company that sells soft software. So what we did is we took kind of a bridge positioning within that and said, all right, this is the current state, we can get you to the future state. We actually repositioned our company around a lot of the insights we discovered in this report. So that was that was a really great exercise to not only uncover what's wrong with the market, but like where we think we can actually help companies uh, improve their programs and kind of position them to be more successful in the future. Yeah, for sure. And so a research project like this is like not a, it's not a small project, right? It's not just quickly whipping up like a 10 steps guide, lead magnet or cheat sheet or something like that. So uh, where do you, where do you begin something like this? Where, where do you get started? Yeah, great question. So you're right. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do. And I think that's why honestly, less than 50% of SaaS companies out there do it. I think BuzzSumo has a stat that is less than 50% actually do original research because it's hard but it doesn't necessarily have to be. We set up an assessment on our website that literally prospects could come, take this assessment, 30 questions, it spits out a PDF report based off of the questions, gives them benchmarks that you know were taken from what other people took, the assessment. And uh, it would basically say, this is kind of where you are um, versus your peers. This is what you should do. These are the recommendations based off the answers you gave. And in that assessment, we asked like 30 something questions but that was basically our collecting the research, right? Like those questions are exactly what we used in that research report. And you can do it that way, which is a very somewhat easy lift. Uh, you could also kick out the survey questions via email to your email base. You can run PPC on it. We didn't, but you can do that. So there's, there's a bunch of different ways you can go about doing it. But again, it's not getting your fresh out of college content person to just whip up a report. It does take some thought. It does take some strategy which I think is why a lot of these companies avoid it. But I'm here to say that uh, there is a lot of chatter on LinkedIn and in the marketing community right now that said ebooks are dead, you're wasting everybody's time. I'm gonna be the opposite, opposite side of that voice. If it's super high quality and there's, it's packed with value, you can still make it work if you have the right framework in place from the, the, from the marketing standpoint. Yeah, and I, I think that's the biggest reason why people are saying things like that is because they, they launch an ebook or a lead magnet or whatever they want to call it, and it doesn't right. work. And often it's because the quality is so, is so right. low. It's like, it's like the amount of conversations I have with 
SaaS like marketers or even we, we don't really work with too many early stage companies anymore, but I used to get a lot of early stage SaaS companies come to me and still do their founders asking like, Hey, we tried, we tried PPC, we tried paid ads and it didn't work out for us. And therefore right. we don't think it's ever going to work. And the, the majority of the time, the reason behind that is because a, they didn't know what they were doing when they were running mm-hmm. it. B, they like, they spent so such small budgets that when, not working for them is like losing a few hundred dollars kind of thing. It's not enough to do any thorough testing. And then finally it's like, exactly. they didn't have good, like high quality, creative specific for ad platforms. They didn't have someone managing the account that knows what they're doing. And I think it's the same with lead magnets and even guides or even webinars. I just did a LinkedIn live stream a couple hours before mm-hmm. you recording this. And I said a few weeks ago that I feel like so many people are just leaning towards doing webinars or online events at the moment. Mm-hmm. They're doing it because everybody else is doing it and they're not putting out right. anything of good quality and that's why they don't work. But there are people that put a lot of time and resource into this to put together amazing webinars or amazing live events and those are the ones that are going to see success from this. And I think it, it, it makes sense with, with, what you're, with what you're saying as well. How often do you guys put together one of these like research reports and how, how long does it take to put together one of these? I don't know if there's any like benchmarks or if it's completely different each time, but I think yeah. that- so just to play off what you just said, I do want to maybe harp on that for a sec. I think people, specifically prospects, remember the feeling that you give them when they download a piece of content. And if you bring them in with a, a very clickbaity title and then provide zero value, they're going to remember that you wasted their time. They're going to remember that feeling that you gave them when they downloaded it, spent 10 minutes of their time to go through it, just literally learn nothing. So we do really try to focus on quality over quantity as much as we can. This research report we do is about every year. It's, I think the last one we did was about a year and a half ago. So we're, we're due for one right now. We're collecting data. And we're actually in the process of writing it. But it is kind of like what I call the keystone pieces of content per year. So we really focus on high quality industry level insights. And we support that with breaking it up, just like you do with your podcast, Dylan. We break it up into a bunch of different pieces of content, cross channels, um, similar approach. But it's super, super, super important to make sure that you lead with quality, especially if you're taking a position in the marketplace where you're educating. Uh, because again, nobody wants to get their time wasted by somebody that's pretending they have the answers and then you find out they don't, they're never coming back to you. You get, you get one shot to prove your value and you better, you better deliver on that promise. Yeah, and they're not going to reply to your 27 emails and 10 nope. phone calls either, right? <laughs> okay. It's not going to happen. So let's, I know you said you had like a, quite a few, like a list of practical things that you wanted to run through. So I'm not too sure where you want to, where you want to start on that, but I'm thinking with our kind of core topic in mind being like how you organically generated over $2 million in revenue and 30,000 downloads. It makes sense maybe to like focus towards some of the actual steps that you took to more downloads, get more people in, like what the, even the follow-up process was like, et cetera. So yeah, like feel free to crack on where you want. And I'm going to have questions as we, as we go through as well. All right. You got it. So um, just for some context, uh, my company was looking to do a lot with a little, right? So we weren't the biggest company in the space. We had two large competitors, one of them being bought out for a billion dollars with a B, another one recently going public. So we had to punch at the same level and we had to literally stand out almost more than they were uh, with, I think probably 10 or 20 X the budget uh, they had. So the solution was to really focus on providing value to the market through thought leadership uh, type content. So we, we landed on this research report. First thing we did, 
right? Picky data provider, uh, pick a data partner, somebody that can provide legitimacy to the report, extend your reach. We picked MIT. We were a relatively unknown company at that time. So we, we leaned on MIT to provide legitimacy to the data report. We worked with them to make sure that it was legitimate, that the data was correct. So that's number one. And then again, I already said, number two is put an assessment on your homepage, right? So set up something that automatically captures this data for you uh, on the back end, so you don't have to do a ton of lifting. Sure, email it to your email base, put some PPC behind it if you can, kick it out to your prospects. This is a really good way to do like pre-launch marketing, right? So if you have target accounts, say, hey, we're doing this survey, we'd love you to participate. When it's done, we're gonna give you the report ahead of the public, we're going to give you the insights, we're gonna give you an assessment. So there's a lot of things you can do to really like pre-launch this thing. And targeting accounts, getting this to prospects, having them participate is a great way to do that. Not only that, if they don't participate, you're going to plant that seed and, hey, these guys are going to have a report in probably six months. So that's really important. Pre-launching and pre-marketing is a big piece of it. Uh, once you hit like a certain threshold, you really want to run the data, get the analysis, make sure it is centered around, again, that, that bridge positioning, right? So what's the current state? What's the future state? Your company is the bridge from that current to future state. Very similar to the Zora deck that went around a while ago. You kind of do want to take that approach. So that's the right way to do it. But then co-brand the report. So this is a big piece that we did. So we had a co-branded report that we released with the data with Microsoft, Salesforce, Vodafone, HP, Affirm, Colliers. So what we did there, we had the data. We said, hey, this is the report we want to launch. Would you like to be involved? We think your, your program is, is a pretty great program. We'd love to do a case study on one specific element of this report. And Salesforce had something, Microsoft had something. All of these guys stepped up and gave us a two page, this is what we're doing. So now the report becomes co-branded, right? So these bases kick it out to their bases and you get more reach. That's the goal there is you elevate your brands by associating it with these top tier brands and you get their audience. So that's an important piece. Co-brand your report as much as you can. Use it to fuel your other content like podcasts, webinars, blog articles. Use the insights and make sure they're in like news style snippets where 40% of the companies don't know their own retention rate. Holy crap. That is a news clippet that you then spread out to all of these different channels. That's a really important piece. Make sure that it's digestible and, and really people can understand it the first time they hear it. That's super important. So you got to break up your content, just like you're doing with your podcast. You have to distribute it, repurpose it, the whole nine yards, run webinars with these co-branded people. So leverage those relationships and really just go into detail with like, Hey, I want to do co-branded marketing with you. It's going to be a webinar. It's going to be a blog article, a guest post, really leverage those relationships or else there's even establishing them. I think the other thing is like, we did a crazy amount of email promotion. So your email base is really important. We uh, were lucky enough to have a good, solid email list that we leveraged. So not only could we get people to take the survey, but once the report came out, they downloaded it, they spread it to their friends and family, registered for search. I mean, there's a bunch of different things you can do, but by getting this information out there into your email base, things, good things tend to happen. Uh, so that was another huge part of it. I think print the report is another thing. This is all of our thought leadership, right? There's two reports. You need to print it because sales can use this as collateral to support the sales, uh, the sales cycle, right? So if you have target accounts, send them the report with a handwritten letter from the sales rep. This is a very cheap way to do outbound marketing at target accounts. You cannot, I cannot overstate that enough. That is, we've got a good amount of traction doing this. Run your own conference. Virtual, probably now, but before, 
all of this went down. We had this conference called Monetize, uh, which is based off of the research we did that basically said if, if executives want these programs to be successful, you have to tie it to revenue. You have to tie your experience program directly to revenue and ROI, which is coincidentally what our software did. But that was also a huge part of it. I mean, these companies were failing because they're not tying revenue to their programs. And these CX practitioners were not then reporting that revenue as a result of the program up to the C-suite. And that's literally only the only thing C-suites care about is revenue, right? So make that connection, number one. This conference that we did was run in Amsterdam, Boston, Silicon Valley, Sydney, Australia. That conference was, you know, two to 300 people per conference. We leveraged the thought leadership. We got Forrester Garten to speak at at Microsoft, Salesforce, AWS. Super, super valuable, super important, super compelling to get that data on a stage with some of the other thought leadership uh, type people or brands in the industry and tie our brand to that and do a physical experience, probably virtual now. But that was a big driver. That was a pipeline accelerator. Sales would get all their opportunities that were in pipe to this conference. We present the day that we got from the research, I think was the nail in the coffin for a lot of these companies like Eventbrite, Heineken, Anheuser-Busch. They all attended. They saw the, the thought leadership and the research in process, practical advice. And that is really what I think drove them to close. So having some sort of compelling event, right? event, virtual event. It's more than just a webinar. It's more than your standard marketing tactics. You got to go above and beyond. You have this amazing content, throw the kitchen sink at it. I think an event was a big driver for us and it was our own conference. We didn't tie into somebody else's trade show. We literally, we were a smallish company back then. And we just said, we're going to do this and we're going to launch it. And we had 300 people show up at one of them. I mean, that's, that's a huge deal and that you cannot imagine what that did for like the sales cycle and just the sales element of this research is like you have to tie it to those those revenue values as a marketer or else um it's just again it's like generating 100 mqls which great but if it's not driving business then i don't think the the business is really going to care at the end of the day and finally the the last step I'll, I'll talk about dylan is like just doing it over again we do it every year one time is not enough. You have to do it over again. It becomes easier the second time around. You have pre-existing relationships. These people that you reach out to guest post, they'll want to do it again if you have good data. We got into a bunch of press from the first campaign. We got into Forbes, Inc. Magazine, Adweek, Business Insider, Seeking Alpha. All of these pre-existing relationships, you leverage that again when you do it that second time. And it's just that much easier to actually get some value out of the entire campaign when you have those uh, relationships established. Amazing. Ian, thank you like so much for just rattling off everything and sharing it all. I really <laughs> appreciate that. I know that I know that people listening to this or watching this will find that really, really valuable as well. Yeah, it's super interesting. Like I had a couple of questions, but you answered some of them as we as we went oh, through. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's good. It's good. It's like it's good not to interrupt someone when they're in their flow like this, right? Because it's like I know as a listener of podcasts myself, if I'm listening to someone explaining what what they've done and seen success with and they're breaking everything down step by step that's usually when i like take out my notepad and i'm yeah things down right so um one thing that i i think is kind of an overarching topic for this interview and for a lot of conversations i'm having with marketers right now within like within our world right is um it's so it, it seems so clear and so obvious but it's fascinating how few people really think about when you create something of really high a really high value, something that people are actually going to enjoy or use or learn from. Like mm -hmm. it's not actually that it's not that big, scary, difficult thing that everyone thinks it is. Right. It's like you create something yeah. great 
And then that becomes your, like your core piece of marketing for everything else that you do. Like, of course, there's loads of other things you mentioned the like the co-sponsored or co-branded reports, the um, share, like sharing emails with other people, putting on an event, which is a huge thing in itself, right? Like all of these different things, but these are all fueled by this one pillar kind of piece of content that you've done. And it's so clear that because you took the time to thoroughly kind of understand what your market would find helpful and insightful, that's why it resulted in like revenue that you can track, but also there's so much value that you can't like pin a number down on that would have been generated by all of the buzz around this, the press, the content, the awareness and all this kind of stuff. And I think that's where I'm seeing most people kind of stumble is they put time into something that they know themselves isn't actually that good. Like how many times I know there's going to be people, someone listening to this right now that's been working on some kind of lead magnet or event or whatever it might be. And if they were to be presented that by someone else, I know that they wouldn't read it, right? Like, that's something that I'm thinking about a lot. Of course, we're not all our own target customers, but even so, if if you're putting something together as a marketer and you're thinking, oh, you know what, I I wouldn't be interested in watching any of this or listening to this or reading this, then you should probably rethink what you're you're doing a little bit. And I think some of the tips that, that you've shared have been like, super super useful for that i have one like overarching question i guess is like you you guys have a lot of experience now with putting together these these reports these high quality content pieces what would you say is one of the i guess like core areas where someone maybe messes up when they're trying to do something like this or something they should really think about it doesn't have to be a report maybe it's like a another pillar piece of content but what's the one most common i guess like mistake or challenge that you see people face with this kind of yeah Great question. I think it's, it's not going to shock a lot of people, but promotion. So once you put the time in to make the piece, your, your job is not done. Your job is just beginning. So 20% of your effort should be put into making the content. 80% should be promotion. So not to say that the 20% isn't super important. Again, it ties back to that value. Are you creating something that's valuable that people will digest and remember and really get value out of? So that is a very important piece. But the bulk of the campaign was promotion. So think about it, right? Guest post, getting the press on board, getting these little bite-sized news clippets and spitting it into webinars and, and conferences. I mean, conferences are a massive lift for a company, um, any company. I think running your own conference, if, if you guys haven't done it, I've done, I think, five or six now at this company. And I can tell you, it is a pain in the butt to get these things off the ground. Logistically, it's an absolute nightmare, no matter how simple you think you can get it. It's always logistically a nightmare. So promotion, like getting the information from the report out to the general public, to your audience that you know is going to get value out of it. That is where I think a lot of companies go wrong. They just focus on, we have this great report. Great. Let's put it on a blog. That's kind of like, they're so exhausted from creating the content yeah. <laughs> that they, they fall off the most important part. And it's, it's, it's almost like a shame because a lot of content is so good that just never sees the light of day because they don't have a good enough distribution network or a good enough promotional network to, to get it out to the right people. And you have to be very tactically skilled to, to out and you have to have a plan in place and just creating it and then saying, all right, let's just, you know, collect the leads now. It doesn't work like that. So I think that's the number one area that most companies go wrong. And it's probably not too shocking, but 
just to rem- just to go back to one of your original points sure. uh, a little bit earlier, this is valuable stuff not only for prospects but for the company itself. So we, in doing this research, we repositioned our company and what our software does using the research insights. Right. So that is not a small thing. That is that is monumental for a, a company. So not only are you giving value to prospects, but you're learning something about your industry that can help you better position your company. I mean that that is. A serious thing. And that's exactly what we did. I mean, we found that the reason most companies fail is because they're not tying revenue or ROI to their programs. So we repositioned our software and started developing our software around, hey, you can do this in real time with our, our software customer gauge. And this is how you do it. And we know this is the number one issue you're struggling with because we did a ton of research on it. And I mean, it's just, it seems so simple, right? But I'm telling you, it's just, if you go through the effort of the process and trust the process that there, there's going to be value there for your prospects and your company, uh, again, good things tend to happen. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Ian. I can, it's, like, it's like customer research 2.0, right? Like really yeah. understanding your ICP yeah. better. Okay, so we're just going to wrap up with two questions that I always ask like towards the end of these podcast episodes. So the first one is, what is something that you personally at like customer gauge as a senior marketer are finding challenging at the moment? Challenging. Oh man. I think everybody, let me put it this way. Every marketer that is a marketer right now, if they're not saying they're struggling with the pivot, they're lying. So obviously everybody's trying to pivot. Everybody's trying to figure it out. Like you said, virtual events, are they good? Are they bad? I had a post a couple of weeks ago where it's like, the things I've learned in the last week is that virtual events are a great idea. Virtual events are a bad idea. You know, everybody has a different opinion on what's, what's working, what's not necessarily a struggle. And there's a bunch of things we struggle with, right? We don't have enough bandwidth to do anything right now. Uh, there's a million things we want to do, but I think as a marketing leader, you kind of have to prioritize things so that will have the biggest impact on the business. So that's really what I'm trying to focus on is giving the business a plan uh, for the next six to 12 months that is based in reality, that is focused on business results. I think that's, that's literally what I've been focused on for the last month and a half is repositioning the marketing team around this one singular goal. And that's been, that takes a lot of cycles. I'm not going to lie. Repositioning, reworking plans that you had in place. Yeah. That's, that's a good amount of effort right now. Yeah, for sure. And off the back of that, what's one thing that you and your team are like, are either working on right now or have done recently that you're super proud of and like really happy with? Yeah. So we, we had, a, so we're, we're an experienced company, right? We help companies with B2B experiences and I'm really proud of the way we helped our customers through the COVID situation. It was a terrible situation. I think there was a lot of confusion. Companies didn't know, should we be asking for feedback from our customers right now in our accounts? Should we be doing this? Should we be doing that? And credit to our CEO, Adam, he did a fantastic job getting out ahead of it. So not only did we provide concrete evidence and guidance on what to do based off of like usage patterns from all of our different companies uh, in our portfolio, but we wrote a report uh, or a, a guide, a retention guide on kind of this is what you need to do right now. This is why you should do it. This is the data that supports this. So I was really proud of number one, how quickly we spun that up, but also the value, the value that we provided our customers in their time of kind of uncertainty, I think is something I'm really proud of. I think there was, there was a lot of people just didn't know what to do. And we hopefully cut through the BS and just gave them a, a game plan to, to, not only make sure their businesses and their customers are, are uh, in good shape, but 
they have a they have a plan for the future yeah and that's super super important too because people are going to remember the companies that like did that right and and yeah awesome well ian thank you so much for coming on today and like sharing so much actionable stuff with us about how you guys at customer gauge were able to see such like great results from the reports that you that you put together i know that people listening to this would have found this really helpful so yeah i appreciate it it's been it's been a lot of fun chatting with you about it today yeah i love it dylan thanks for the invite again anytime <laughs>